Moving right along in our Roman study for Sunday school class. We'll be looking at verses 17 through 29. Romans chapter 2. I'll give you a couple seconds to get to it. After Romans chapter 2, we move forward in our study. We'll start to see some of the, the great doctrines of the Christian faith. Amen? We'll start seeing about justification by faith and the revelation as he pulls it together of God's faithfulness and the fact that he's just and that no one is righteous and uh, trusting everyone's there. So, so far, let's just kind of go back here. Um, Starting in chapter 1, so far we've seen God make his case against all mankind, amen, uh, revealing to, uh, to all of us that from the very beginning of creation, no man has an excuse to deny God's existence because he's seen in everything that's been created. You can clearly see that um, the organization, the, the everything, all the detail put into all of creation, the fact that man was uh, made in the image of God, unlike the animals, and we were given dominion and all this and, and everything else. So God's completely revealed his power of creation. Uh, so we've seen him make his case against all mankind, addressing the different excuses that man has for both his own behavior and the rejection of God. Somebody who's still in their sins uh, will oftentimes justify their um, behaviors or make excuses for it or to give try to give um, some kind of reasoning to why they don't believe in God or they don't want anything you know that's just just the way it is it's always been that way um, so God makes his case that no one has an excuse there uh, to reject him in chapter two uh, as we began in the chapter God begins to address hypocrisy uh, which we find in just about every excuse that man makes, or when we point the finger at others. Of course, I submitted to you last week how it, it people were using the excuse at the time, well, I'm not as bad as that person, so I'm all right. And that's not the standard that God uses to judge us, is it? It's not, well, I'm better than they are, so that's self-righteousness, right? And so we address some of the things that, uh, that, that God reveals to us about uh, self-righteousness, and then uh, God began the process of addressing Gentiles who were non-Jews that were without the law. Uh, obviously, the Gentiles had not received the, the commandments. Um, they weren't in fellowship with the Jews. They weren't going to synagogues. They weren't being, uh, they weren't being taught um, uh, prior to Christ. And so uh, what we learn is um, that the Gentiles even having a conscience within them, their conscience is a law unto themselves, that when they do the things that the law says, that it proves, because we're all made in the image of God. Amen? So it proves that uh, they are just as guilty even not having the law, and so they were a law unto themselves. And then finally we learned that uh, all judgment will be according to the gospel, right? And the Bible tells us, you know, we're in Romans now, but as we study through the the uh, the Gospels, and we study through Acts. Of course, we're just starting Acts, but we learn that it's our responsibility to preach the Gospel to who? Everyone. All over the world, right? 
because judgment will be by the gospel. What we learn is now the judgment of God no longer is down to keeping the specific ordinance of the law. The judgment of God is, have you accepted Christ as your Savior? Amen? Um, and so uh, there'll be a judgment according to the gospel, and what we have revealed to us is that it'll be by Christ and towards either Gentile or Jew, both. Neither Gentile or Jew have an excuse for sin. And so that's where we pick up here in verse 17. Let me go ahead and read here. We're in Romans chapter 2, verses 17 through 29. I'll go ahead and read through the end of chapter 2. The scripture reads this, Behold, thou art called a Jew, and resteth in the law, and makest thy boast of God, and knowest his will, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law. And are confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which has the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. Thou therefore, which teacheth another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, Dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written. For circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law, but if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and circumcision dost transgress the law? For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Amen. Of course, that's a lot to, to digest, but let me attempt to do my best at that, as the Lord would lead me. So starting in verse... 17, Behold, thou art called a Jew, and resteth in the law, and makest thy boast of God. So we've seen here now, uh, Paul has addressed the Gentile, right? He's addressed the hypocrite, he's addressed hypocrisy, and now he's addressing the Jews. He's addressing a Jew, right? So he's making the case to everyone before he goes on into chapter 3, and we start to see these doctrines of, uh, of Christ unfold to us. But God now makes his case to Jews that just because they are Jews with the law does not mean that they are saved. That's a real easy way of looking at that. He's saying just because you have the commandments, just because you're a Jew, just because you're of Israel and that's God's people and everything else, doesn't mean you're saved. Now, that brings an interesting point about some things. It shows that there is a shift in the dispensation from law to the dispensation of grace. And what a dispensation is, is 
it's just a period of time in the Bible. You've got several of them. And during different time periods, God dealt with man different ways. Amen? Uh, easy way to look at that. So, for example, uh, the first one was innocence because man was created innocent in the garden. Amen? And then as things progressed, then you had conscience because man sinned and then knew he'd sinned and he was ashamed and hid himself, so he had conscience. Uh, then you had... Uh, you had promise with Abraham, you had human government with Noah. You had, so there's different time periods where God started to require different things from man. The Bible tells us, and we'll see this later on, that death reigned from Adam to Moses. So just the fact that man physically died from the point of Adam up until the law was given was a vindication of God's justice against sin. So you had that. Um, so there's just different, different time periods God dealt with people different ways. Well, here the Jews needed to learn that just your Jewish heritage is not going to get you into heaven as we shift into the dispensation of grace. All right. Um, so that's what he's teaching. that The Jews still have to accept Christ at this point because he's came, lived, uh, he, gave, he preached the kingdom gospel to them. Now they're going to receive the, the, the gospel of the grace of God. Um, and so they had rejected him, and Paul is, is revealing that they still have the same responsibility as the Gentiles. So just because they're Jews with the law does not mean that they are saved. How, do we can, how can we look at that in our own lives today, just as, as Gentiles? Everybody understands here, unless your nationality is from Israel and you can trace your heritage back to the original 12 tribes of Israel, I want you to understand today, you're a Gentile. I'm a Gentile. You're a Gentile. Unless you can prove to me otherwise, you're a Gentile. So how does this apply if this is dealing to the Jew? Well, people, Gentile people, we a lot typically look at their own good works or their own good deeds and the things that they do to feel comfortable about the afterlife. Well, I've done, I never did anything wrong to anybody. And I gave to charity and I did all these good things for people and I was always not, and I always treated people nice. I don't know how many funerals I've been to where he was a good person and he did community service and he, did he accept Jesus Christ? Because what we find out is that all of our good works won't save us. Because it only takes one sin to keep us out of heaven. And we'll learn here as we go into chapter three, all of sin and come short of the glory of God. Amen. Uh, so, so that's kind of the same mentality. Here, I think the Jewish people had a little bit more of a point of pride with it because um, you're dealing with the fact that they knew their heritage and they had the they had the Old Testament scriptures. They were trusted to preserve those. They had the the history with uh, with God leading them out of bondage and all the stuff that happened in the wilderness and going in the the promised land. So, there's a, a lot of a point of pride with it with them. Um, but Paul is revealing to them that just because you have the law does not mean that you're special. In fact, they, you are just as lost as the Gentiles. And this is how he makes his case on that. He points that while they teach the law and observe the law, they also break the law. Amen? That's what he's pointing out to them. You're observing it. You're teaching it. You know it. And even though you do all these things, you still break it, which makes you even more guilty because you received the commandments and you're still sinning. Amen? What, what the case is being built up on here 
is that man has a sin nature. Amen? And we can do our best to obey rigorously every commandment of the Bible, but because of the sin nature in us, we all, unfortunately, yield to a bad decision. It's a fight that goes on in the brain. You'll find out about that in Romans chapter 7. Um, There's a law of sin in, in the members, and what happens is we sin. We all sin. We all sin against God. Um, and so that's why we have to have Christ, our advocate with the Father. And so he's making that case here. They still sin. Uh, I'll give you this. Many Jews felt immune from God's judgment. Well, God could never send a Jew to hell. And so that's what it's referring to on verse 17. The Jews resteth on the law. Amen. I want you to underline that word resteth. We've got to think about rest. We're to rest in Christ. We don't rest on our ability to keep commandments. Uh, the law was not designed to give rest and confidence. What we're going to learn is that the commandments and the law, I so said the, the two are, that's an interchangeable term. When I say the law, I am referring to the commandments given to Moses. Um, those commandments, while we know of the Ten Commandments, when you read through what's called the Pentateuch, which is the whole book of the law, and the, all the books of Moses, you find that there's really hundreds of different little subsections. Just like we have a constitution with so many amendments, but then there's all these different articles under those amendments. It's the same thing with the law. And I forget the exact number, but it comes out to well over 400 different specific ordinances that they have to keep in order to keep the whole law those are all subdivided under Ten Commandments, and if you break any little portion of it, you've broken the whole thing. You find that out in James. Amen? Uh, so the law is not designed to give anybody rest and confidence. Amen? Somebody that's resting in their ability to keep commandments, oh, I'm, I'm keeping all those commandments. Man, I'm, I'm good to go. That person's in deception. Amen? Because it tells us in those Jewish epistles, which are, you know, you've got 1 Peter, 2 Peter, you've got Hebrews and James and 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Those are actually called the Jewish epistles. But what you learn there, what does the Bible say? Any man says he hath no sin? Amen. I can't even remember how that verse ends because i got four different ones going through my head at the same time. So if I start mixing and matching them, I haven't switched Bible translations on you. I promise you that. But if you make him a liar, Amen. Or you're, in de- or you're deceived. That's what the Bible tells you, and I'm paraphrasing now. If you think you have not sinned, you are deceiving yourself. So it doesn't give us rest, and it doesn't give us confidence. The purpose of the commandments in the law is to awaken our conscience to a sense of sinfulness. That's the purpose. When we see the commandments, we can easily place ourselves and how well have we really done keeping this and even jesus encountered the one what was it a, a, a rich young man right and he was like well these are the commandments he's like i've kept all these since i was a kid but was his trust in christ because he said well then give everything away that you have to the poor and he walked away sorrowful remember that exchange there um so the reality is it's not designed to give us confidence and self-confidence in how obedient we are. It's designed to awaken us to exact extent of our own sinfulness. Why? Because that's what we take to Christ. Lord, I know I have failed. Please forgive me. I know, Lord, this is where I'm struggling and this is what I'm struggling with. Will you please help me? 
and to overcome and to be to do better in this area. And so, uh, so that's that's what we're talking about there. They really were not to rest in the law, and that's why it says, "And makest thy boast of God." They believed that they're so right with God, and so he's. Uh, I guess you could say Paul's knocking them off their high horse. Amen. Now you know why later on, well, now you know why he had so many problems with them stoning him to death and wanting them locked up and everything else. Uh, when, you, when you preach to people the truth, oftentimes they don't like you for it. Uh, he certainly would be a forerunner in that category. Now let's look down at verse 18. And knowest his will and approvest the things that are more excellent being instructed out of the law. So here's what we find out. The Jew knew God's will because they had possessed an outline of it in their scriptures. Remember, the Jews had the Old Testament scriptures. They had all of that. So they were in possession of the Word of God. They were given the assignment of preserving that um, and to holding on to it. And that's why we have the Old Testament today, because God used them to preserve it, to preserve us the Old Testament. He wants us to have it. Then it says here that the Jew approved the things that are more excellent. This is because the law taught him to assess moral values. Amen. They grew up with the instruction under the commandments. So they had the ability to assess moral values in comparison to God's standards. God gave them the standard. So they knew what it was. The Gentiles did not have that. The Jew would pride himself on being a guide to the blind. We'll go on a little bit further. So that's what it was referring to with them approving the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law. They had the instruction. Uh, the other nations did not. Now in verse 19, And art confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness. So you see, because the Jew had been given the law, had been given the commandments, um, they were able to pride themselves on being a guide to the blind. What are we talking about? Literally blind? We're talking about someone who's morally or spiritually blind. Because the Gentile, they had no, they didn't have, they only had their conscience, their God consciousness to convict them uh, through right and wrong. But the Jew actually had the written guide of proper moral conduct. And so because of that, they considered themselves to be guides to the others. They were a light to those that were in the darkness of ignorance. That's how they considered themselves. Others didn't know any better, right? But we do because we've been given the instruction. So that was the, that was the comparison. Um, I think it's easy uh, for us in any area of life when we really know our stuff about something and somebody comes along that clearly shows that they have, are completely in ignorance on it whether it's spiritual or, I mean, even, guess what? It's a test of our real spiritual maturity, amen? Because we have to be willing to say, you don't mistreat somebody. Like I've been training a guy for three weeks at my job. It'd be real easy for me to just lose my patience with him, but that's like me forgetting where I came from, amen? I remember the first time I had to learn to, to drive a truck and back trailers. It's the same thing in our faith, Right? When we mistreat someone else because of their ignorance towards what Christianity is all about, it's the same as saying, I forgot where I was at when I got started. Amen. I forgot about all the foolish, really silly things I did because I didn't know better. Amen. And I hope everyone here would be able to say today, I'm sure glad that the people 
who God sent me to to look after me and help me grow in the faith. I'm sure glad they had the patience and the spiritual maturity to know what they were looking at and say, Brother Brian, <laughs> what are we going to do with you? You know what I mean? Um, and then that's the way it should be. So th here is the, the Jew that prided himself in the fact that they wanted to be a light to those in the darkness of ignorance. And so they did kind of have that position. By the way, when we finally study Galatians, I'll point out to you um, that um, that responsibility from God was abused because as they were able to be moral compasses, as they were able to use the law uh, to try to be a guide and to be a light of, to those in ignorance, it arose to the point where they were trying to enforce the law on Gentiles for justification and it doesn't work that way amen again the law was only designed to bring us to the awareness of our sin um so that's that that's what's happening there uh let's go a little further here verse 20 an instructor of the foolish a teacher of babes which has the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law and so the jew felt qualified uh, to correct others' foolishness. Amen? They felt qualified to correct another person, an instructor of the foolish. They felt that that was their qualification. I know better you don't. What you're doing is silly. It's foolish. I'm qualified to correct you. All right? Um, the reason they had that sense of qualification was because they were taught and others were untaught. Amen? Um, they knew better and others here are referred to as babes. Um, obviously a babe would be somebody who's immature, doesn't know yet, right? At some point or, or another, we're all babes in Christ. And from a babe, we start with the milk of the word. And then we move on to the meat of the word. We start out with the basics. We learn that. Then we move up. We begin to digest the meat. The Holy Spirit should be working in us. The word of God should be doing its work. The end result is we should be maturing and growing up in the faith. <laughs> Uh, but I'll tell you what, that's, that's just the way it works. I like this. I, I was meeting with a friend the other day. He says, do we really believe as preachers that the word of God will do what it promises to do? Or do we want to put our hand right in the middle of it and try to do it for God ourselves? Because we lack patience with people. I said, whoa. Brother, we're at breakfast. You got me ready to find an altar. <laughs> Conviction, right? As Christians, when we are given the responsibility of discipling others, we get people are getting saved, people are wanting to get right with God and learn about living as a Christian. Do we believe through patience and love with others that the Word of God will do the work that it promises that it will do? Or do we want to do it for God ourselves? Because we can't, you know, I, I, it, I, it suddenly dawned on me. We can't put timetables on the work God is doing in other people's lives. We're only responsible for what God's doing in our own lives and how we're yielding to Him. And if we're really focused on ourselves and being right and keeping our own hearts right and growing spiritually for ourselves... It keeps the rest of the responsibilities God give, uh, gives us in quite a bit different context, doesn't it? Um, but it's, uh, it's amazing 
And, and I think Paul's starting to reveal this, and the case that he's making here as I move on a little bit. Um, basically here, the law gave the Jew an outline of knowledge and truth to enforce in others. So listen, we have, as Christian people, we have the whole Word of God. Here's the outline. Here's the truth. We know it. Yes, we should live by it. But sometimes we get tempted to enforce it on others as this is what's without God doing the work in them first. And what ends up happening is you have somebody who's reforming, not conforming to the image of Christ. Amen? It's not the grace of God doing it. It's their personal sense of not wanting to disappoint someone else that's causing a change in behavior. It's their sense of why well, I don't want pe- I, don't, I want to fit in. I want there's a lot of things that can be tacked onto that. Let the word of God do the work, and we'll see how this develops uh, as we move through the through Romans. Um, it's pretty amazing. Uh, so what we find out here, verse twenty one, that thou therefore which teacheth another teachest thou not thyself. Thou that preachest a man should not steal, but Dost thou steal? He goes on with adultery in 22 and idolatry. Um, verse 23 Thou that makest thy boast of the law, through breaking the law dishonorest thou God. So he's making the case you're teaching others, you're doing the same things. Right? You're doing the same things. Um, God does want us to get our heart right and to get our lifestyle in order with Him because when we begin to teach others, and preach to others, we become those guides. We become that light in a lot of ways. Now, He ultimately is the light, but He uses us. And so it's good when our lifestyle lines up with our profession and our teaching. Amen? Um, this always is a topic that brings me a lot of conviction. Um, here, on, on, a, on an even more serious level, the things which the Jew was boasting about and putting confidence in had never actually changed his life. Amen? Um, he had pride of race and religion and knowledge, but he was not a transformation. He taught others, but did not take his own lessons to heart. He, he showed the knowledge of what the, the Bible says, but he wasn't actually living it himself. Amen? And why is that? Because on our own, we can't keep the law. Right? They're putting their confidence in the commandments. They can't keep it. We, can't, we cannot do it. If it was possible for any man to do that, we would not have needed Christ to come into the world. Right? And He came and did what? Did Jesus come and destroy the law? No. He came and fulfilled the law. He came and kept it perfectly. He was completely without sin. He completely obeyed the will of the Father. And that's why He was able to be a sacrifice for all of us. So as we move down a little bit further... It shows that by breaking the law, they're dishonoring God. Verse 24, this is important. Put this in parentheses. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written. That's a tough statement, is it not? Consider that. What that is saying is, the combination of a big talk and a little walk by the Jews and the hypocrisy that was in them 
caused the Gentiles to blaspheme the name of the Lord because of what they saw them doing. That's what it's referring to. Amen? Um, when's the last time you heard someone say, I'm not going to church because there's nothing but hypocrites there? Amen? Now, obviously, some of that has to be dealt with in the fact, listen, buddy, we're all, we all fall short. Don't look at man for you're an example of what a righteous God is like. Amen? We all need the righteousness of Christ in our life. And so, you know, I, I don't typically accept that from people. I try to talk them through that mental mind block. But the reason people feel that way is because of things like people in the ministry, especially preachers, especially pastors, who get caught up in abuse scandals or, you know, extramarital affairs and all this other kind of stuff. It causes the people who don't know the Lord to blaspheme the name of the Lord because they're saying, nope, don't want nothing to do with that. If, 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 if what he's preaching is real, then, it would, then he wouldn't be that way. Mm. That's a hard one, but it does apply to all of us. Um, man judges God... Because what they see in the men who profess to represent God. And this has kind of always been the case. So man passes a judgment on God, on the reality of God, on the power of God, on the redemption of God, oftentimes based on what they see from other men who profess to represent God. Now... That's a frightening standard to be held to is one that's standing in the pulpit this morning. Because if somebody's looking to me for an example of a holy Christ, I'm very capable and likely will disappoint them. I, I'm just a man. But I'd love to point everybody in, around me in life to a holy and righteous Christ that loves, loves us, paid the price for us, who will fill us with the Holy Spirit and guide us in our own personal lives, each one with different needs, in the path of righteousness, right? I mean, I would like to think I set a good example, but what I mean is we're not to look at man for an example of Christ. We, we set an example for Christ, but what I'm saying is we don't look to man to be Christ, amen? We can't say, well, he's a Christian, he, professes, he teaches the Bible, so he must not ever sin and be perfect. No. No, that's not, that's not the case. But sometimes the pastors get held to an unfair standard because they're pastors. And so it's expected that they should never have a failure in their life. That's just simply not the case. We're human beings too. Yes, there's qualifications and eligibility things in the Bible. But I want to give you this extremely convicting thought here. You may write this down actually. I'll sum it up this way. This is what I'm getting at, and this is how it applies to every one of us. If the world's only view of Jesus is what they see of Him in you, what do they see? That's a convicting thought, amen? If the world's only view of Jesus is what they see of Him in you, what do they see? That's enough to make every one of us 
have a moment of prayer with the Lord at some point and say, Lord, I just want people to see you in me so that his name doesn't get blasphemy. So that they see when we really realize the full extent of how much responsibility we have, and it is a responsibility to go to him daily, to seek his guidance and wisdom, to keep the sinfulness in the old man out of our life so that we can be those witnesses that he desires us to be to others, that people will see and authenticate the testimony and make them desire a relationship with Christ. We have the ability to draw to God for, to, for God to use us to draw people to Jesus. And if we're not careful with that responsibility, we may just push people away instead. And so that's very convicting, very convicting thought. Let me start to finish this up here. At verse, uh, verse 25. Now we get into this with circumcision. So remember, circumcision was given to uh, was given to the Jews through Abraham. It was a sign of the covenant with him. We'll kind of get into that for a second. I know I only got a few minutes here, but it says this in 25. For circumcision verily profited. In other words, it was profitable to the Jew. Amen? If thou keep the law. So there's terms and conditions there. But if thou be a breaker of the law, the circumcision is made uncircumcision. So the, the term here, circumcision, is a reference to the, to the Jewish people because they had been circumcised because that was a sign of their covenant with Abraham. Gentiles were referred to as the uncircumcision. Amen? And so there was like two classes of citizens, basically, the circumcision and the uncircumcision. And by the Jews putting pride uh, in the circumcision, they considered themselves more important or of higher value Paul now begins to address this, but look at this. He tells them, your circumcision is profitable um, if you keep the law, right? Now, he's already established that they do not keep the law. So he's telling them, if you keep the law. But since I've just brought to your, uh, to your conscience here that you do not keep the law, that circumcision isn't going to do you any good. That's what he's telling them. But if thou be a breaker of the law... What is he telling them? You're the same as the Gentiles. The circumcision does not save you. It does not make you any different. So he's, he's kind of leading them to that conclusion. And so what was the importance of circumcision up to this point? Well, it, it was instituted by God as a sign of his covenant with Abraham. We're not going to turn there today, but if you would like to refresh your memory on that, um, write this down and you can read it later. Genesis chapter 17 Verses nine through fourteen, uh, and you can get, uh, you can read there about the institution of the covenant with Abraham with circumcision. Uh, what it was an expression of is a separation of a people to God from the world. So God had called this special people out, um, and so this was a sign that they were different. They were separated from the world. These, this would be uh, God's people. Amen. Um, do you know today? We are to be a separated people, separated from the world, out of the world, separated to God and to the gospel. We have a circumcision of the heart. Amen? God has given our heart the ability to accept Him. So that, that's, that's one thing that we have to look at. We are also a separated people. We also have a sign of that. 
Um, so the external ceremony of circumcision does not equal inward holiness. That's what Paul's pointing out here. Just because they went through this ceremonial ritual does not mean that that equates in any kind of way to inward holiness and a, and a change inside. Um, it says in verse 29, For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward um, <clears throat> in the flesh. And so it's, it's saying this, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly. So uh, let me give you this in summary. Paul is telling them it's what's on the inside that counts. It's what's on the inside that counts. Um, to start to close this out here, the Jew could truly receive praise of God and honor God in their lives by having the transformation in his life. A change of heart. A new spirit. A life of obedience. The outward sign. And also one that shows the inward grace of God working in them and through them. Uh, so he's pointing to the shift that's taking place um, because of the fact that Christ um, has resurrected and ascended. And now we have the revelations being given of the dispensation of the grace of God known as the church age. The fact that the Jew is no different than the Gentile. We're all in need of a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's where he's leading them in this, uh, what he's telling them. He's leading them to draw this conclusion that all of those things are great, but they don't save you. They don't justify you. They don't make you better or more right with God than anyone else. The only way you can have the transformation, the internal change, the new heart, the new spirit, um, the only way to have that grace working in you and through you is to have a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's have a moment of prayer. Lord, we thank you for our Sunday school class. Um, thank you, Lord, for this day, getting us all together in church this morning and revealing the, and remind, some of us just are going over this. We've probably been over it several times and maybe for others, this is the first time going through a study in Romans. And so we're thankful, Lord, to be learning these important foundational doctrines of our faith. How through Christ... There was no longer a separation of classes of people. We all have the same need for the forgiveness of our sins and for redemption that comes only through the blood of our Savior who was crucified for us, Lord. Um, we're thankful that you've made us all equal and that we all need Christ for salvation. Lord, I pray that everyone who is here today is saved. I pray that anybody who listens into the podcast is saved, Lord. But I also pray if you convict one in their heart that they are not and that they are in need of that saving relationship with you, Lord, I pray that they will either reach out to me and talk to me about that, or Lord, at any time you lead them to through your Holy Spirit that they'll pray. It's, a, it's as easy as saying, Lord, I know I'm convicted. I know I need you. I know I'm lost in my sin. I know that I need forgiveness. Lord, forgive me. Save me. Give me the promise of eternal life that is in your Bible, Lord. I, I want that, Lord, and then help me live a life that's pleasing to you. Um, and Lord, we're thankful that you've never turned one away that came to you in sincerity believing the gospel, believing the truth in their heart, and confessing you 
as Lord in their life, Lord. It's a, it's a beautiful thing to see happen. Lord, we pray for many family members and friends around us um, that they will all get saved, Lord. It just seems like we're running out of time, Lord. But thank you for our Sunday school class, Lord. I pray that you will bless our morning worship and our fellowship meal today, Lord. Help everyone get in safely. Thank you for taking good care of us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.